Hey, welcome to another episode of Deconstructing the Myth Season 3, a season full of conversations about how to move forward with life during and after deconstruction. My guest today is Cynthia Vaca Davis, author of the book Intersection, which is the story of how her life intersected with the life of her friend Danny, who was born intersex. We discuss the unique gifts and challenges that were faced when sharing the story of an intersex individual in evangelical Christian spaces. We also talk about how to lovingly navigate the gray spaces of our theologies concerning people who are different from us. Cynthia, hello. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Liz. Thanks for waiting on me. No problem. (laughs) Since I got our our time zones confused. It happens. I've been waiting for a little bit. And it gave me a chance to just kind of sit in a little bit of solitude. So I didn't really mind. (laughs) Be like, where is the host? We're not sure. That is, yes, that is what happened. Well, I'm really, I'm really excited to have you. I'm really excited to talk about your book, Intersection. And I'm also really excited to just talk about your faith um, and your journey. And so the season, we are really focusing on, you know, what now the what now after people deconstruct and deconstruction can mean a lot of different things i was going to have the season focus on reconstruction but i realized you know for some people that seems like a very christian word it does yeah which i actually think yeah in your case from what i'm understanding that probably would be still an accurate use of the term but i just i think you know after reading your book your book was really beautiful and i couldn't put it down i had a hard time putting it down um your writing is you have a very uh capturing writing style and we were actually on a big trip when i received the manuscript um and i mean there was like no time we were gone for two months to another state and i was like oh i'm not gonna get this done but that's okay i'll put off the interview and i read the whole thing (laughs) like (laughs) faster than i expected i was up late at night and my husband's like what is happening i was trying to explain the story but i really i enjoyed it i enjoyed um I, I really did enjoy hearing about Danny, but then I enjoyed just kind of hearing your wrestling. Oh, I mean, I, you, you probably didn't enjoy living no, it. But no, not always. <laughs> I mean, there were parts of it, yeah. But um, yeah, it, and yeah. I, I thank you for saying that. I, I appreciate hearing feedback and hearing readers' experiences with the book. Um, and yeah. when I was initially writing it, there wasn't, in the very, very beginning, there wasn't necessarily going to be a part of it that was my story, but that quickly changed. And then... Mm-hmm. Um, for the longest time, Danny's story is just so much more developed than my story. And it took mm-hmm. me a while to write my way into what became the narrative that, that you read. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I, it was really neat. It was a really interesting shift. So before we get too much into it, cause I just want to talk to you about the whole thing right now but (laughs) let's give our listeners maybe a brief synopsis would you be willing to of kind of the theme yeah sure um, and and storyline yeah so it's a it's a dual narrative um and and it's it's a memoir but it's the memoir of two different people I'm one of the characters and then my friend Danny is the other story that's told and the Mm -hmm. book's title is intersection and it's spelled with an x because of uh Danny, um, he's, he's an intersex person. And so it's a play on words, mm-hmm. but it's really about how our lives intersected at a really, really key point 
in both of our lives. We just happened to come into each other's paths and um, really had a big impact. Um, where I was at in my journey and where he was at in his journey, we both were kind of at that precipice where things were going to change and decisions mm. had to be made. And and we really kind of just wrote ourselves into each other's story during that process. Yeah. Yes. And it's it was neat because it, it was Danny's story and then your story. And I actually, when I when you ended the first section, I was like, oh, I, that's it. For some <laughs> reason, I was like, that must be where that yeah, is. And then... <laughs> And then it just, it was neat to see how you both really, you know, you met each other and walked some of this journey. And I thought that was just really neat to read about. It's in three Um, parts. It's Danny's story, my story, and then the intersection of both of our stories where we are both in, in the book together at the end. Yeah. Yes. Because at one point you were talking about um, how you were applying for a particular position and people were really asking, okay, wait, this isn't a trans thing. You're not saying anything about being trans or homosexual, right? You're, you're saying something about a, a biological condition. But then I was thinking this is very interesting because, you know, some of these people who are actually intersex don't have the physical characteristics. It's at a more, what would you say genetic level chromosomal they're getting yeah yeah, chromosomal okay so they're getting you know kind of lumped into the transgender or homosexual discussion and it's kind of a big kind of jumbled theological doctrinal cultural thing yeah (laughs) that's happening right now exactly very much so um yeah, so I was um I was at a Christian university and I had already I was already working there to some extent um as an adjunct. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the role I had was adjunct, which meant I was kind of, you know, semester to semester and I was um being asked mm-hmm. to step into a permanent role. But it being a Christian university, they really want, you know, the theology was very important to them and where faculty mm-hmm. stood on all kinds of of issues and um at this point, gay marriage had just been legalized. It wasn't at the federal level, but it had been legalized in Virginia. And I was, um, that's where I live. And I crossed the state line mm-hmm. to teach at this university, which is in North Carolina, because I live right on the border, or not right on the border, but close enough. Um, yeah. And uh, they were thinking, oh, this this might be coming over here, <laughs> this gay marriage mm-hmm. thing. And, and we, have yes, to, yes. Yeah, <laughs> we have to come up with some sort of policies about how we feel about this and get our faculty to sign statements of uh, theology. And so that's kind of mm-hmm. why that entered into this conversation around my work, which really seems yeah. bizarre, you know, that, that for a condition of employment, you end up having to have conversations about your friend's genitalia. That just does not happen every day. (laughs) That was a really interesting component to this book to think how many people have literally thought about your friend's body parts. (laughs) Do you know, like in, in how they feel about you and feel about him? It's just such an interesting, sad reality of, of what's happening is that that is, defining how we think about people and and I don't know it's it's it was just really interesting to hear about um anyways so the book is great everyone should read it and think about like the I mean I just I I'm going back through people I've known of course I'm not you know we'll never know for sure but I'm thinking man if I would have read this book like 10 years ago I think I would have been a lot more 
able to resonate with some people in my life, um, in particular, even if they weren't intersex, to realize some of the challenges they go through not fitting into the usual molds we have, you know? And so I just, I think it's really, really important. Um, But I want to talk about you. I don't know if that's... (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. It's funny because, you know, I I do end up having to talk a lot about Danny and his story with his full blessing and his full, you know, Mm. encouragement because whatever gets the story out and he's come on some podcasts with me too but I I don't mind just you know I'll speak for myself instead of speaking for Danny okay good (laughs) I would love that because I was really intrigued with your story so can you just tell us about kind of your faith background your spiritual background how it started and then you know especially concerning intersex trans and gay people um I don't know it it seemed like there was somewhat of a deconstruction or at least a moment of like I don't know what I think about this but I'm going to continue acting in love kind of tell us what got you to that point yeah yeah that question makes sense (laughs) yeah so I mean I was raised in a home that was not initially a Christian home um my father was uh, very much a seeker and I grew up going to a range of different churches so I got to see I got to see Christian faith play out in different contexts. And, you know, being a kid, you notice things and some things you mm-hmm. accept as normal and um, other things you kind of, um, it doesn't occur to you later how that maybe wasn't normal. But um, I, mm, uh, I saw, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw that there would be different roles at different churches. And, you know, uh, at, at one congregation, uh, one issue was just, you know, the whole world just spun around, you know, one concern and, then you go somewhere else and they don't care about whatever that church was worried about. They had some other big issue that was their number one concern. And, you know, when I was, Mm. when I was younger, you know, growing up in, you know, in the eighties, we, we didn't really hear a lot about, um, gay or or certainly not trans. Um, you know, it just wasn't the conversation that it is today. And, and I naively thought, you know, I, I don't know any gay people. That's a really rare thing. I don't know anybody that's gay. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, that, you know, just kind of um, did not, didn't really have the language or the knowledge or, or, or any of, of that to, to think much about it until um, I was mm. a youth minister. And um, this was in the 90s now. And we ended up at a church, a conservative Baptist church. We weren't Baptist at ourselves, but we were, um, they really needed some youth workers and they were advertising in the paper and we applied for the job and we got grilled a lot about a lot of different things, but they eventually decided we were good enough people to be youth leaders at their church. <laughs> this is my husband and I, we were doing it together. And out of the 12 regular students that consistently came, a fourth of them ended up at one point um, coming out as gay to myself hmm. or my husband. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. that really made an impact on me because I realized I didn't have any legitimate answers for them. Anything that I had studied or, or read was usually from a Christian lens, and it was usually something along the lines of, you know, there are children who are gay or say they're gay, but they probably just need a father figure or they're probably confused Mm. or they probably just need more attention. And it was very untrue and um, certainly not helpful information that I had at my fingertips. 
and um, I had an interaction with a student that just was heartbreaking where he, he was very, very vulnerable and came out to me and I was accepting of him as a human. And I was, I was, I remember, I remember the moment, just my heart was breaking for him. And I knew that I was supposed to say, I knew my lines. I knew that I was supposed Hmm. to be in this Baptist church and say, well, this is a sin. And that is what I said. I said, well, the Bible calls it sin. I remember saying that. And I remember the words coming out Hmm. of my mouth. And I remember thinking, I know that I've been told that the Bible calls it sin, but that does not seem like a useful, helpful, or possibly not true answer because I realized I don't, I wasn't sure I could even defend that mm, at that point. Yeah. And that's what started, um, just, it started what was a quiet quest at first. I just started reading and seeking out information and trying to understand first of all, like what could be going on in my youth group and, and, Hmm. and what could I do the next time I have a student that reaches out to me because I wanted to do better. Wow. That's a lot. That's a a lot, lot, uh, for like first time (laughs) youth directing Mm -hmm. kind of by default. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Okay. So, so then, I mean, you kept encountering people like this in different ways. Oh, right? yeah. I, it's just once I became open to um, wanting to learn and having an open mind about what what was what was happening with a what seemed to me to be a pretty big segment of of people, you know, like it just it mm-hmm. seemed if my if a quarter of my youth group could be gay, it was probably more prevalent than I ever thought. And Mm -hmm. it seemed after that, that my husband and I almost became magnets for, we just started meeting people who told us their stories and we weren't Mm -hmm. shocked or surprised or or we didn't react in any sort of negative way. So I think that made people feel safe and Mm -hmm. it helped us to kind of start to develop a little bit of a reputation as being accepting and welcoming, even though I still didn't. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I still didn't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I still didn't have like what you thought. Right. Right. right because I mm-hmm. still wanted to be able to be in youth ministry and I still wanted to be in good standing at my church because that was one mm-hmm. thing that I absorbed very much growing up is that if you kind of broke rank and, and went against something that the church was um, holding a strong line on, you can get ousted. Mm-hmm. You could be there one yeah. day and absolutely gone the next and you've lost your community and you were on the outside of those lines. And that was scary. So I had yeah. that in my mind, you know, if I'm too outspoken and if I'm too, um, if I'm too vocal about this, I could get the boot. <laughs> and that was something mm, at that point yeah. in my life that scared me. I overcame that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not scared of that anymore, but yeah. at that point I was. Yeah. So I think that I, I was on that line for a long time, you know, just, I had a yeah. lot of people in my life. I loved them. I really, um, had no problem at all, but mm-hmm. knew that, you know, it was kind of one of those things that if I, if I started talking a lot about, I, I would be, I'd be in danger of, you know, on yeah. the outside. 
And I was really impressed in your book about those in-between years, at least theologically in-between years, because, you know, you talk, there's a scene, I believe it was your interview, um, where they ask you point blank, (laughs) what do you think about homosexuality? You know, and this, from what I remember, this was spurred on because of the discussion about the book, Mm -hmm. which arguably is not about that even right. at all <laughs> right. um, but of course you know and and your answer I can't oh man I, I wish I had the manuscript right in front of me but I remember it being along the lines of I don't know but I am choosing yeah. to extend love and to me it's like well that seems like the like what we would all agree on as Christians but it wasn't you know at least in that case it definitely wasn't, it wasn't. and i they did not they weren't okay with that and to me i thought wow what a brave position because you know this for your particular life it's not like you're defending yourself it's not like you're saying well i'm you know having same-sex attraction or whatever and and i think i'm you know i don't you're literally not even it's not in your family it's right i say it's on your relationship and it's like you're still you are putting your job on the line for others saying i don't know and i thought that was extremely brave it wasn't even at that point that you were confident you know one way or the other at all but you were Mm -hmm. like i can't I can't cross that line since I don't know. I just thought that was really brave. I really resonated too with, (laughs) you talked about trying to kind of um, keep it under wraps because you thought this doesn't really matter to this position. Like my (laughs) thoughts on this don't matter to this position. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, this doesn't have to be thing. And I have felt that in specific spaces being in the, I don't know of a lot of (laughs) topics over the last few years. (laughs) Yes, and it's unfortunate that I don't know isn't... It's like the person listening determines what to do with the I don't know. Exactly. Which is is, uh, unfortunate. So I just want to applaud you for being... Um, brave and willing to kind of sacrifice what sort of sounded like the dream job. It did seem like the dream job at that point. And I think that 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 situation is is the before and after. Because after I lost the job, it was like, what does it matter? You know, (laughs) if, if I gave that up, um, I'm going to, I'm going to have a voice. I gave that, that job up to have a voice because I'm not going to go through that for nothing. Can you kind of briefly tell us about the situation? I I'm keeping it ahead of myself because I feel like I've already been talking to you reading your book, but yeah, tell us a little bit about, you know, you had certain aspirations for a teaching Mm -hmm. position that you, you kind of, you know, idolize it. So tell us about that and about the whole situation if you want to, so listeners can follow. um, And I've come to realize that um, not everybody understands the inner workings of university life like I do. And there's certain things that I say that people are just like, I don't, I don't understand what that means. I was an adjunct. Mm -hmm. And what that means, (laughs) what that means is that you work semester to semester. You're like an itinerant worker. You don't have any benefits or rights or guarantee of continued employment it's very much uh you limp along and you hope for the best yeah and you also Mm -hmm. don't get paid anywhere near what the uh permanent faculty does so Mm -hmm. um I was sort of a late bloomer I got my start pretty late um being an adjunct or being a, a college professor at all so I was um I was teaching at a school that I'm still working at, actually, but I, you wouldn't know from semester to semester what classes you would have, case if mm-hmm. you would have a class or 
uh, and that's directly tied to your income. So um, I started also, it's very common for adjuncts to work at multiple schools to try to cobble together, mm-hmm. you know, something that would resemble yeah. <laughs> an actual income. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I yeah. had the opportunity to also adjunct at this other school, the Christian school. And mm-hmm. I was also getting my MFA at a third university. So at this point in my life, I am traveling. What a schedule. Right. I am <laughs> two states, three universities, crossing a state line, um, going through two different bridge oh, wow. tunnels. I'm just doing the circuit of university living. And I'm thinking somewhat naively, like, wow, something's going to come of this. I will, um, I'm just going to work hard and I, I think I'll, I'll follow my feet somewhere. I'll find something. And and weirdly, that is what happened. And and I say weirdly because another thing a lot of people don't understand about academia is there aren't a lot of these good permanent jobs. There just aren't. Hmm. Um, yeah. And certainly they don't go to someone who doesn't have um, a PhD, let alone an MFA. I, I just had a master's degree at this point. And they also hmm. don't get just handed out in the middle of a semester. But that's what happened. Mm. Um, hmm. That's exactly what happened is it's um, probably, it's late October, mid-October of the fall semester. And the academic dean said, well, we've had a, an audit um, for our accreditation. And we were told that we have to hire a permanent um, faculty member um, pretty much immediately in English. And I was the only game in town. I was the only English professor there at that time. Um, so it was going to be somewhat of a formality to just kind of put me into this role. And, um, that's when they said, you know, there's a little more scrutiny because uh, these, uh, these jobs are rare and we don't make appointments like this very often. So we like to, you know, give a little extra scrutiny. So I was like, go, okay. And, um, Mm -hmm. they had, uh, what they called a, a, a deeper doctrinal interview because I had already had to go through an interview like that to work there at all. Mm-hmm. And they said, we'll ask you a few more questions yeah. about things. And um, I got through that. Nothing came up. And when I made it through that, I think, oh, okay, I think I'm going to make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm in the clear. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Scoot by. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, but that was not the case because. Um, because I met Danny and because Danny had, um, just literally the week before this happened, Danny, um, had come to me and said, um, there's something I need you to know. And I had thought Danny was female. He was presenting female and I thought he was female. And he told me, Mm. I am not, I am in fact intersex and I cannot continue on. Like his life was very literally in danger. And he said, I need, I need some support. And I've been told that you and your husband are safe people. And I wanted to practice telling my story on you. And I wanted to see if, you know, you were interested in kind of supporting me through this. And we enthusiastically said, "Uh, of course. And then I realized Mm -hmm. um, the next week when I'm now in these talks with this university, oh, and, and the other piece that came of that is when Danny and I started talking, we started talking a lot and he was really my interest in his story. And also combined with the fact that I was, um, 
looking for a, a meaty subject to write about for my mm-hmm. thesis. He said, go ahead and write about intersex. Nobody knows that story. Just write about intersex. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay, yes. I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, if you insist, right? <laughs> if you insist, I will write about intersex. And then that's when I realized that if I am writing about this for my thesis, my conservative Christian school is going to find out it's going to be a matter of public record. So I may as well just tell them what I'm working on for my thesis and just put that out there. And that's when things got dicey. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because they started asking, right? right. What, what is intersex? What does this entail? What is intersex? Are you just writing about um, somebody's story with no opinion? Are you going to be um, weighing in on what you think? And they were they were basically using this as like, okay, let's find out where she really stands on these issues. Hmm. and which was hard because you hadn't formally <laughs> it sounded like you hadn't formally decided like where exactly am I at that exact moment is that is that correct or am I reading into that um I mean I felt like I could not be God in that moment and I felt I think the I mm-hmm. don't know was like I really don't know what God would say about this, but I do know what God says to me about loving people. And that's my concern mm-hmm. and God can sort out the rest. And I didn't have any yeah. good theological um, grounding mm. um, at that point. Yeah. I, I'd read some things, but um, my, my opinion in the, I don't know camp was kind of what I just said that I know what I'm supposed to do. And that's, that's everything else is above my pay grade. <laughs> Yeah, regardless of this other, you know, I think that's something we get so caught up in, in the evangelical church in particular, is trying to figure out what others are supposed to be doing, Yeah, (laughs) you know, Yes, and and it's like, no, (laughs) that's not even, you know, even if you're, I don't know, it's just, it's just been an interesting thing. It was an interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I had decided, like, for me, I, I wasn't all that concerned at that point about trying to explain away the theology I just wanted to love people and so that was kind of where I was at when I came into this and yeah well that was not good enough (laughs) yeah yeah and you know so we the the neat thing about our podcast and our communities we have people all over the spectrum they're spiritually they're politically they're theologically all over the spectrum um but so that's why partly why I'm really fascinated about your in between. But I also love to hear where people have kind of gone after mm. that moment, after that situation. So now, though, on the other side of um, writing the book and having to kind of have these questions out mm-hmm. in the open, where do you stand theologically on you know homosexuality? Um, let's start with that because that is a different thing than transgenderism oh it's very different yeah yes and unfortunately they all kind of get lumped together as being a similar (laughs) situation they actually do and uh, and almost comically in the book with one of the people i was talking about just kind of lumped the whole thing together like that lgbtq nonsense yeah Yeah. yes yes so um i am a hundred percent affirming of um marriage equality, gay marriage, uh, same-sex relationships, I am fully affirming. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do not, um, you know, my understanding, and again, I am not a theologian, um, but I have read enough and and had enough discussions that I feel um, 
I feel that there is a very good way to, um, to defend, um, that position, even from a biblical point of view. But more than that, Mm -hmm. I do think that as I've evolved in my faith, I am, um, less interested in black and white interpretations of, of pretty much anything really. Um, I Mm. believe, um, I believe in God. I love God. I love Jesus. I love people. Um, I Mm. don't really care for, um, I don't really care for things that begin with the Bible clearly says, (laughs) because I Mm. don't believe the Bible clearly says quite a bit. And that's not the fault of the Mm. Bible. It's the fault of people who demand um, basically a script of how to navigate every single situation in life. And it's Mm. the fault of people who expect the Bible to be something different than what it is, which is a collection of beautiful ancient stories told by people who were grappling with their own questions and their own life concerns. And they were telling their stories in their language set in their time of their experience, Mm -hmm. trying to connect to, to God, to the divine, to their creator. And we try to use those stories to um, specifically give us answers for modern day problems that 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 text was not necessarily even designed to be speaking to. Um, hmm. I think it's more about, I think the Bible is more about wrestling. It's more about trying to find the divine, to find God in your daily path, wherever you are, whatever time period you lived in. Um, we see mm. people asking questions in the Bible. We see Jesus when he was here um, loving the people who were outside the church and being very frustrated with the people who were inside the church. And mm. that um, model, I love it. I love it. I if think if Jesus were here today, I think he would be... Um, hanging out with drag queens and I think he would be having a beer with people in a, mm. in the bars. I think he would be, um, yeah. he'd be at a pride parade. I think he would be looking for the people who were oh, on wow. the margins yeah. and he would be where they were and he would be upset mm. with the people in, uh, in the pews who were condemning. There's, there's kind of this tension between, well, okay, A lot of people think the Bible does clearly say one thing, which Mm -hmm. I I think we're realizing people are kind of questioning that. I don't know if you've heard about that movie, 1946, that's come out. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, and and I think that there's um, now some debate around that for sure, which is definitely something people need to be looking into because this affects actual lives. Oh, yeah. Um, But I also think apart from that, you know, when you just, as as you have told us in your stories when you have connected with a person who finds themselves in one of these groups that uh, we consider as evangelical Christians we so often consider sinful there's that moment I, I keep thinking of that moment you were talking about that moment when they look to you and a lot of Christians think well the most loving thing I can do is to call sin sin that's a thing I hear a lot I'm sure you've heard mm-hmm. a lot and yet, is that, I mean, and then, of course, you've probably heard the idea, love the sinner, hate the sin. Yeah. And it's, it seems, though, in the cases I've heard, that's never been 
effective ever. Never. <laughs> like at least the people I have known, <laughs> even I have, I've known people who have said, you know, I, I think God doesn't want me to act on this and, and you know, okay, mm-hmm. go, you know, that's between them and God. But I don't think even those people, I, I can never remember them saying someone pulling me aside and saying sin is sin. That's what I needed in that moment. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm processing this all as well too, because, you know, being, I so admire you because this is an issue that wasn't, like I said, it, it wasn't something you personally dealt with. I'm, I've currently dealt with the things, you know, that were big in my deconstruction on my own, like these doctrines and things. And this wasn't on the radar because it wasn't in my little circle of influence. Ooh. And the thought of someone being brave enough to go out there and literally have their job on the line for something not in their immediate orb is, is still really, I'm sorry, I keep going back to that, <laughs> but I just think that that was such a Christ-like, um, genuinely Christ-like response of so being able to see the other in that moment. So, Because my faith for me is, it doesn't allow me to be unauthentic and, and to, uh, I don't know if that's quite the way I want to say it. I mean, the book is a lot about authenticity, but um, for me at that point in my life to actually sign something, because that's what they wanted me to do. They wanted me to sign a piece of paper that said that, um, LGBTQI plus, um, lifestyles, um, whatever they meant by that. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and people were repugnant and offensive. Yeah. Repugnant and offensive to God and offensive Mm -hmm. to the principles of the university. And for me to sign Mm -hmm. that, um, I, I couldn't do it. Like that to me was throwing a lot of friends of mine under the bus, um, basically calling my friends repugnant. Um, and it would be a lie for me to sign it. So in so many ways, my, for me to live out my faith, it meant I couldn't sign that. That's where I was. I just, I, and where I remain, you know, I could not sign that. So yeah. What has happened since that? What has happened since the book, as far as your personal relationship with Christ relationship with these people, spirituality, you know, what has happened and job even I'm very curious <laughs> have you found I mean you're yeah. still teaching it sounds like yeah so um yeah there's news yeah. on all these What's, fronts <laughs> yes tell us a little bit about the what now so yeah. um at that time you know I I had mentioned earlier when we were talking about I always had this fear of being cast out and um because hmm. I had seen that so many times um uh, when I was growing up I really honestly saw that too many times to ever count where, you know, you go to church one Sunday, where's Mrs. So-and-so? Oh, well, they won't be back. And I just didn't want to be mm. the person that wouldn't be back. But yeah. um, <laughs> at the time, oh, I, um, my, Danny and I were both, and my husband, were we were all going to a church that really seemed pretty welcoming of of people and questions and uh, margins and mm. Um, I felt pretty safe there. It was the first church I had really been to that it really seemed like you could have a serious question um, or doubt or alternative view of something and you'd, you wouldn't be gone the next week. So that was very exciting to me. Mm. And also Danny um, was able to tell his story and was initially very well received. So I felt mm. super, uh, I, I felt like we were about to see Christianity truly being lived out in a way that I had always wanted to see it lived out. I was so excited. I knew 
that my church wasn't going to let me down. I thought, well, this, this university mm. just really was very disappointing, but the church, my church is going to, my church is going to knock this one out of the park. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Yeah, they didn't. Um, oh. Yeah. So even though they were initially very supporting of Danny, over time that support sort of faded and there was a faction of people that really weren't truly supportive. And um, mm. the more Danny, literally, it's one thing to hear that somebody is, well, you know, this was presented as a medical issue, which it is. Um, but once they really saw that Danny's physical, um, body was truly going to change and his, um, he was going to actually, um, have relationships with people, um, people weren't as comfortable and Mm -hmm. the support really got cut off to the point where, Mm -hmm. um, we don't go, we don't go to that church anymore. We haven't since I think 2017 and, um, I have not been, um, I did not, I have not found a new church. Um, Mm. I have been finding community instead. Uh, My, my whole focus is all uh, with people is connecting, connecting with people who are right around me and building strong Mm. community. I think a lot of the community that I thought I had in, um, in my past church and various churches before that was a conditional sort of community that required you to adhere to a bunch of set rules and viewpoints. And Mm -hmm. that's why people could disappear because it's very dependent. You Mm -hmm. believe the same way we do and you're in our community. If you don't believe the way we do, um, you'll be out of that community. So being outside of that, I have found that I have made some very, very amazing friendships. Um, I have a group of people that I am constantly spending time with and I'm not afraid. Oh, I'm going to say something and it's not going to match the, mm, the, yeah. the rules and you know, they're going to leave me. Yeah. And I've been, um, interested in building community for other people for helping people feel like they have um they have a place to to land um whatever that may mean I've been so busy trying to have community and be community that that has kind of filled anything any sort of fellowship sort of function that I ever got from church Mm -hmm. has been way exceeded by just finding those things in the wild as far as um, my job, um, I am still, I have actually, the, the school that I began adjuncting at um, 11 years ago, I actually mm-hmm. have my name on the door now. <laughs> Yay! Yes. 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 <laughs> I have an office with my name on it. <laughs> I love that. You get to see it every day you go in. I do. I do. I pause yeah, and I look fine. at it. I look, oh. It's my name on the door. <laughs> so, and I'm also very intrigued. So you brought up this idea of kind of organic community. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely an off-the-cuff kind of question. Uh, so <laughs> bear with me. But I've just been really thinking about, you know, what's the future of the church, which is not probably the question you're like, I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> but I've been thinking about it because I'm thinking, someone asked me, what do you think the church is going to look like in 100 years? Oh, my. 
And That's a long I time. <laughs> it is a long time. Are we going to have church buildings? Are we going to have yeah. this format of sermons? And I'm like, I don't know, but I see people really finding community at home mm-hmm. and community, you know, as much as we can often dog on social media for disconnecting us, there is a very unique kind of community and um, spiritual and, you know, loving phenomenon oh, happening, yes. I think. And it sounds like you're living it, you know, and, and I don't know, can that, can we call that the church? I mean, what, what do we call that? Well, think back to um, Acts. I, I think they had mm. organic community in Acts. I think a lot of the people that were meeting, were meeting, they were meeting in homes. They were, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that um, we like to put kind of modern thoughts on it and say, oh, they were having small group or you know, whatever. But no, mm-hmm. these were just people who had, um, you know, a common faith and they shared their lives. They ate meals together and they, um, they sp- spent time together. They, they lived out their lives together in community. And I think that church can, church is so much broader than sitting in pews, opening up books or, you know, having the band in front or whoever style of singing mm-hmm. you, you, know, you do at your church. I think church can be very much an organic experience. It can be about loving the people that are right there around you, whether they're people that you, mm-hmm. um, know very well or people that you, um, you know, the book is called intersection, you know, whether you people, whether there are people you intersect with just, for a moment of time and you have a chance to love them and help them. I, I think that community is everywhere. And mm-hmm. that to me feels a lot richer and a lot, um, a lot more useful, I think, than um, hmm. some of the things that I've been involved in. Not all of them. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I can't just pr- take a broad brush stroke and say everything that happens in church is bad. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, for me, for where I am now, um, you know, Danny is still part of my community. When I talk about community, Danny's mm-hmm. part of that. And, um, when I get together with, um, with Danny and with his, uh, now he's, he's married, he's got a wife now and she's in my community mm-hmm. and we have friends. And when we get together and we, we have a meal together. That to me, that's church. (laughs) Hmm. So as we kind of finish up here, is there any advice you would have for anyone who is maybe in your shoes from, you know, back in the days when this wasn't so public, when, you know, when there was that in between and who are trying to be true to God, to themselves, to their friends, and they're finding conflict. Do you have any, you know, advice or encouragement for those people? You know, I think that, I think that stories are really powerful. And Hmm. that was when I wasn't sure, you know, after, um, I had the very difficult conversation with my student, um, in youth group and, um, I wasn't comfortable with the way that that went. Um, and I didn't know for sure how to give theological answers or um, how to how to have anything useful or helpful for him. The first thing that I sought out were stories. Um, hmm. i would I would seek them out 
um, whether they were in books or on the internet or wherever I had to go at that point to hear stories of, of people who were gay or who were struggling or people who tried not to be gay and, and, and failed and, mm-hmm. and what happened yeah. to people when they were ostracized. And I just let stories be my teacher. And hmm. I think that we can develop empathy um, and compassion um, more quickly with stories than with anything else. I think our brain is hardwired for story. Hmm. So I think that would be the biggest advice. Collect stories, seek them out, absorb them, Hmm. spend some time in other people's shoes. And I think that the stories will work on people. Um, I think truth comes from stories. Oh, I love Hmm. that. I love that. Well, Cynthia, where can we find your book intersection? Oh, you can find my book intersection. Um, Several different places. Um, my publisher's website, lakedrivebooks.com. Um, I have my own author page there. I have my own website, mm-hmm. cynthiavacadavis.com. And my book is on Barnes & Noble and Amazon. And um, any bookstore in the country should be able to order it. Um, if you don't see it there, which you may not, but <laughs> they can definitely order it for you <laughs> if you prefer yeah. the brick and mortar way. <laughs> nice. And we will put some links to those in our show notes for today. Well, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story and, and the lessons you've learned along the way with us today. Oh, thank you. You asked me wonderful questions. I had a little bit of a different conversation with you than I've had in some other podcasts and I enjoyed that. <laughs> oh, good. Yes. And thanks yeah. for being with me as you sat there. 15 minutes in silence I appreciate that that's okay I needed it I needed those 15 minutes of silence If this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.